morning, everyone. Happy Easter. So good to be with all of you as we celebrate the resurrection, consider the resurrection uh, together. My name is Lance, one of the pastors here, and uh, so grateful to have sunshine, to hear all the kids' voices, to see this messy, beautiful cross, uh, to sing songs of resurrection hope uh, with all of you. What a weekend. It's Easter weekend, and like all weekends, like all Easter weekends, we retell the story of what happened on that first Easter weekend. We retell it in order to reimagine it and perhaps even re-enter it and relive it. Uh, this, This weekend, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, these three days, this is the weekend of all weekends. This is, this is what it's all about. Uh, and for followers of Jesus, this weekend redefines everything, redefines it all. Uh, we, need to, we need to have a little John Irving. This is from a prayer of Owen Meany. He says, I find that Holy Week is draining. No matter how many times I've lived through this crucifixion, my anxiety about his resurrection is undiminished. I am terrified that this year it won't happen, that that year it didn't. Anyone can be sentimental about the nativity. Any fool can feel like a Christian at Christmas. But Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you aren't a believer. That's just... The thing, we come into a weekend like this and perhaps many of us would say, yeah, I'm a believer or I'm not a believer or I'm a mix of believer and not believer. We come into a weekend like this more or less knowing it's a big deal but still might have questions of so what? And of course, this Easter weekend, this morning has the convergence of calendars where it's April Fool's, which in many ways is just so perfect. Because uh, we're afraid, perhaps, that there's a little prank going on. Afraid of getting our hopes up. Afraid of getting punked again. And as uh, one author said, this, the, that first Easter wasn't just some sort of trick. But we're worried that it was a trick. He says, it wasn't just a trick, a parlor trick. Look how God can re-enliven a cadaver. That's not what was going on in this first Easter. Not a trick, not a, also not an emotional switch to flip, like it's Easter Sunday, so please do away with your gloom and just get happy. It's not a trick, it's not a switch, it's a weekend. It's a weekend full of what many believe to be good news, perhaps for many tired news, maybe even some fake news. There's news this weekend, and we're still trying to figure out what to do with it all. There's news of where hope gets birthed. And so I want to look at this weekend, even as we move through it. I want to look at the weekend with you. Friday. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurried insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple 
and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants to. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way the rebels who who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabasathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they yelled, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out it again, a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This is Friday. And Jesus' death is so central to the story, but it's very unusual. And you'd know this if, if, uh, you've, if you've read any biographies of, of uh, a famous person. Even, even if their death was a big part of the story, uh, like Abram Lincoln... Gandhi, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., even if their death was a big part of, of, uh, of a story, it will, it will only take up a little portion in the biography, whereas with Jesus, within a few decades, we've got four biographies of his life, and in all of those, his death takes up about a third of the biography. It's interesting. A lot of ink going towards this day, Friday. The key component, if you've been around this story, you know, is crucifixion. We just heard it. And crucifixion was, uh, of course, it was execution. It was a Roman way. There's thousands of people that would have been crucified before Jesus. And yet, strangely, as far as I know, we don't know one of their names. Thousands and thousands of people crucified. But we, they're erased from history, which was exactly the point of crucifixion. It was erasure. It was cruel. It was dehumanizing. It was public. So as to say, the object before you is not one of you, not fit to die like a human being, not part of the human community. Crucified person became a nobody and a nothing. This is Friday. Nothing. Jesus was crucified And in that crucifixion, there was humiliation and loss and grief, but of course, ultimately, death. I remembered this past week uh, about my sister, there's no segue into this, I remembered about my sister's huge love for cats. (laughs) And, uh, And so I texted her saying, how many cats did we have? Like, And how did you talk mom and dad into allowing you to get so many cats. We had tons of cats, and there was this one litter that was named Mario, Luigi, uh, Pepsi, and oddly Whitey. Um, And uh, so we were kids of the 80s, well-branded, obviously, and uh, my favorite was Pepsi. I loved Pepsi. And, you know, have kittens as a kid, it's amazing. Snuggling them, 
doing tests. They always landed on their feet. Uh, it was just incredible. Sorry, cat lovers. It was just incredible to have these kittens. And, I, and I'll never forget the day where we, we were driving back, into the, back home and we came into the driveway. And Pepsi was out in the driveway. He had snuck out. And Pepsi's in the driveway. And because Pepsi's in the driveway, and that driveway happened to be in the middle of Alberta, and at that time we were in the middle of winter, Pepsi was out in the driveway frozen stiff. And this was my first, probably my first encounter with death. And so I scrambled, thinking this cannot be. Pepsi cannot die. And so started scanning for possibilities. We could just bring Pepsi in, maybe get Pepsi back with his mother, maybe some snuggle time. Uh, I remember I also considered maybe a hairdryer. We just get the hairdryer out and we'll give Pepsi a quick thaw. All kinds of scheming for resuscitation until the reality set in. Pepsi's gone. And what I was encountering, though I didn't have the words for it, was I was encountering irreversibility. There are things in life, and we call, the, call them death, that don't get undone. It's a very cold, hard reality of death. And then as I grew up, I dealt with death in the way that you do, and that's through jokes. And so I'd make jokes later, and I would, I would, it was cruel. I'd do this when my sister was in earshot years later, and I'd say, hey mom, you remember that one time we had a frozen Pepsi in the driveway? And she would cry, and I would laugh. Very dark humor. Um, but that's how I learned how to try and deal with death. You make jokes about it. See, everyone knows about Friday. We've all got Fridays. The loss of a job, a friend, your health, a dream for a kid. And you don't have to be a kid to want to scheme, to find ways to undo it all, to come up with crazy hairdryer-type solutions to the worst kind of endings that you know. We all know Friday, and Friday is when the ir irreversible arrives. This past Friday, it was Good Friday, and uh, I had a real strange Good Friday as I flew back uh, home to Alberta for a, a funeral of sorts for uh, my best childhood friend. Uh, I met Dave on the first day of grade one, and uh, we became friends all throughout elementary school, all throughout high school. And uh, so I wasn't sure what we were going to encounter. It wasn't a funeral. It was going to be an open house at his sister's acreage. And so we drove these frozen gravel roads just outside of Stony Plain. And we got to the house. And as we got into the house, the house was lined with folding chairs in any open space. Folding chairs in the rumpus room. Just, just we got to bring more rumpus rooms back. It's just such a great concept. Folding chairs in the rumpus room and down hallways and in the living room and in every little nook. Folding chairs crammed in so tight that when you're sitting with them trying, uh, beside people, there's times your, your knees are touching with strangers. And we'd rotate through conversations trying to find common ground with the two things we all had in the, sa the same and that was that we, we all knew Dave and that we were all eating egg salad sandwiches in the shape of triangles. 
And so we'd sit together and talk and share stories. And, and then we'd move to the kitchen. And we'd stand around a really heavy laden table full of ham and pierogies and sandwiches and Nanaimo bars. Some of us eating the food. Some of us just staring at it. Uh, the only sense of order in the whole day coming from tightly rolled luncheon meats in very tidy rows. And in the bedroom in the corner, there are people coming and going, and I can see through a crack in the door, because the door is ajar, I see people sitting on the bed, crying, and holding each other, and I later find out that Dave's ashes are in that room. And downstairs in the rumpus room, there's a giant plastic, big, uh, full blue bin full of ice and cans of Keystone Light for those whom all the awkwardness is just too much and it's time to go and do something you know how to do. And on the deck, the relatives are huddled, smoking, the clouds hanging over their heads. This is a visible reminder that we're the ones still breathing in and out. We talk and we remember Dave we remember Dave's quiet, mischievous demeanor, his athleticism in every sport that he attempted. We remembered his old truck, Whoopi. We remembered the more recent, harder years. We told a lot of stories. Mostly what we did was shuffle between rooms, veering through conversations and silences, feigning hunger and the need to fill up a plate. And all of us, old friends, past wives, colleagues, and the relatives from Edmonton, were, we covered the floor plan more than a few times. We just kept moving between rooms, and each of us slowly coming to terms with the unalterable fact that Dave's not here. It was a weird day. Strange, hard. Fridays are where the irreversible comes. But the story keeps moving. Saturday, Matthew 27. The next day, verse 62, if you're following along, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body until the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. It is Pilate, by the way, not Pilate, if you're new to the scripture. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, in the text, uh, this is the only detail we have about this day. One detail for Saturday. Guards are posted to watch the tomb. That's it. That's all we get for Saturday. You can't wonder, well, what else was going on? It's a full day. So much given to Friday. What about Saturday? Friday, that was the nightmare day. That's, that's the day where terror and highly dramatic grief come crushing in where you're carried with adrenaline, and Saturday is when you wake up. I wonder if Jesus' followers wake up and go, yeah, and now what do we do? They got through the funeral. Now what? Who knows what they did that day? I wonder, did they get to talk about what 
went wrong? Like what in God's name just happened? I'm sure none of them want to say it. But in their hearts, they're trying to come to grips with the fact that Jesus failed. Like Jesus ended up a failure. It was a great attempt. But he couldn't get enough followers. He couldn't convince the chief priests. He couldn't win over Rome. He couldn't convince enough people to follow him. Even his disciples were confused until the end. Saturday is the day when nothing happens. Actually, that's not quite right. Saturday is the day when silence happens. After the trouble hits. After the day where you're calling to God, hear me, listen to me, rescue, interview, do, intervene, do something. Saturday's where you get nothing. So in addition to the pain of Friday, there's the pain of the silence and the absence and the failure of God. As one author puts it, Good Friday and Easter Sunday have earned names on the church calendar, yet in a real sense we live on Saturday, the day with no name. And this odd day in, raises all kinds of questions, like why even include it? Perhaps you're even wondering, why are you going here on Easter morning, Lance? Why include this day? Why is there a Saturday? It, 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 it doesn't seem to further the storyline. Like, we'd expect, perhaps, that if Jesus was to be crucified and then resurrected, well, then get on with it. Like, like maybe a little quicker would be nice. It seems strange for God to spread out, then, two events over three days. There's important significance here that this event was a three-day story. All kinds of three-day stories in Scripture. Uh, But Paul actually wants to make sure that we know this as a three-day story. He writes to the Corinthians, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, day one, that he's buried, day two, and that he's raised on the third day. And then he underlines again, according to the Scriptures. Paul's saying it's a three-day story. And here's the thing. The problem with three-day stories is you don't know it's a three-day story until the third day. You don't know it. You think this is just day one or day two on repeat. I don't know I'm in a three-day story until that day actually comes. So what do you do then on Saturdays? How do you cope with a Saturday? Well, there's lots of ways. You, You could choose despair. Or like, you know, which sounds so dramatic, but you could just get used to it. Do uh, disappointment management if you need business lingo. You know, well, how's your day? Just doing, it's jam-packed, full of disappointment management. Oh, it's a killer out there. Because that's as really as good as it's going to get. Uh, some of us silently, secretly live here, stuck in Saturday Living with the sense that my week actually is made up of just one day. Uh, you could choose denial. There's religious ways to do this, especially. Like simple explanation, easy answers, just artificial pleasantness. This is where you just hydroplane over the surface of your life, never dipping down. Force cliches, formulas. It's Saturday. 
Saturday's the day of the closed tomb and a million closed doors ever since. Where is Saturday is the day where nothing happens. Except maybe not. Sunday. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. This is always the first word to people encountering resurrection. Don't be afraid. Why? Because nobody sees it coming. Uh, Because all we know is like at max one or two day stories. Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, according to the Gospel of Matthew, one Sunday morning, a particular Sunday, women found the tomb empty. And they're told that Jesus had risen. They're commanded, go back, tell the disciples the news. Uh, And it's important to note, as we try to do every Easter, that those entrusted with the best news ever, the people who get the greatest scoop of all time, the very first preachers in Jesus' movement, women. Okay? So that's important to note. This is, this is who's getting entrusted with the best scoop of all time. And these women uh, leave and end up having an encounter with Jesus and, uh, that features a remarkably short conversation. <laughs> right? They, they hurry to the tomb and, 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 and you wonder, what, you know, what's he going to say? Doesn't he seem just unbelievably understated here? I mean, these women are devastated. They love this man. They've come to the tomb. The stone is somehow rolled back. There's an angel with fluorescent clothing on top. None of this has ever happened before. Right? If you've grown up with this story, you're like, yeah, and? Right? I get it. The angel. Right. This has never happened before. And all of a sudden, whom Jesus, the, the man they loved, who had died, who they, who they saw buried, appears to them as one risen from the dead. And as one scholar translates the passage, he says it this way. And look, Jesus met them and said, hi. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the first word, hi. It wasn't tada. <laughs> and, and it wasn't told you. Nailed it. None of that. None of that. Is that a groaner? Yeah. Yeah. That one wasn't in the notes. Uh. Hi. Like, how human. 
Jesus approaches with the warmth of friendship. Hi. Resurrection breaks in on this Sunday so subtle, with so little hype, so human. Hi. It's starting. I'm here. Hi. Greeting. And he continues in verse 10. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And this weekend birthed a movement and it was based on this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go and tell and you all are going to see. Don't be afraid. Go and tell and you're all going to see. This started a movement of people receiving a three-day kind of story and now get crashing back into a world that only knows a one-day story. <laughs> to live in a one-day story is to see the violence and the tragedy and the death, to be convinced that the real news in the world is found in your Twitter feed or BBC or Fox News, wherever you get your news, that that's where the real news is. To live in a one-day story is to be convinced that all there is is pain and dislocation. And so when you collide into a three-day story like Easter, it sounds magical. Sounds like a fairy tale, an exception. But to live out of a three-day story, as these early believers are going to start doing, is to start to see everything different because this is a starting point because this becomes a way to preview the coming attraction and I think this this helps us understand the change that happens to these people now you remember these disciples they're locked up in a room they're hiding away it's over they've got a Friday and Saturday story it's done They're probably rehearsing the Easter weekend. And in a sense, nothing's changed for them. Rome still occupies Palestine. Religious authorities are still having their sway. Death and evil are doing quite well in the world. And gradually, over time, that shock gives way to a slow undertow of hope. Underneath the crust of the human experience, there's lava-like hope bubbling along. And it's the, there's the thought, like, if God could do that in Jesus, what else might he do? We thought we had, all we had was an ending. And, and out of that ending, there's a new beginning that nobody could have scripted. What other beginnings might be popping up in the world And this really is a way to account then what we find in the New Testament. It's people over decades coming to terms with what started on that Sunday. It's people receiving a three-day story and now going, oh. I want to read you one passage of somebody uh, starting to get the implications of living out of a three-day story. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. As weird. Boast in our sufferings. Glory in our sufferings. Because we know, how do you know? We know 
that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. You hear that? He's reflecting. He, he, he's reflecting on what it means to get a three-day story and how this is reoriented everything. Everything now is recast in the light of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Everything. And Easter is good news then for every blade of grass and every nursing home and every angry atheist and every cell and every grain and every person stuck in a Saturday. Why? Because Paul says it's not just suffering. It's not just a one-day story. He's saying what happened to Jesus is also happening to us. Suffering produces perseverance. Sounds like Saturday, which produces character, which produces hope. It's a movement from suffering to hope in real time. I like how Douglas Copeland expresses that same kind of hope. What is prayer but a wish for the events of your life to string together to form a story? Something that makes sense of events you know have meaning. Paul's starting to string the events of his life together within a three-day story. And there's real hope here. Not like optimism or um, I'm tired of negativity and I want to be a more positive person. But the, the kind of hope that gets a person through Fridays and Saturdays. Why? Where does that kind of hope come from? Friends, because there was, there, there was this weekend... There was this, this weekend, and we actually split history before and after it. There was this Friday, this particular Friday, where this particular Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, who knew the human experience from the inside, went to the cross and died. There was this Friday, there was this Friday, where Jesus entered all of our Fridays. The Fridays we know full of real loss, defeat, death. Because our condition and the condition of the world is just as we have feared. It's irreversible. And because on our own and left to our own devices we are, as scripture says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus goes to the cross and he submerges himself in that death all the way into that sin and Jesus walks off the ledge of irreversibility. There was this Friday. But there's also this Saturday where he walked off the ledge and we assumed that was it. But apparently he, he was put into a particular graveyard, put in a tomb, sealed, where it appeared like God was dead, where nothing was happening. And it turns out that there's a word after the last word. Because there was this Saturday where the whole world slept and God was at work. There was a Saturday where as the creed says Jesus descended to hell. He went all the way down to the bottom of suffering and defeat in every kind of Saturday. He went all the way down and and he defeated the great enemy of death. Not by proclaiming his invincibility over it, by submitting himself to it all the way. And nobody's accomplishments sped it up or helped it. And nobody's failures, not yours or mine, could slow it down. Christ's work was happening on Saturday 
when we thought nothing was happening. And finally, there was a Sunday where Jesus rose again as the firstborn of the dead. And because there was this Sunday where Jesus walked into death and reversed the irreversible. And you may say, yeah, well, that actually isn't grammatically correct. You can't reverse the irreversible. That breaks the meaning of the word. Yes, yes, exactly. He reversed the irreversible. He walked right into it. And, and, and this means that because of that Sunday, then there are coming Sundays. That the powers that have held the world in corruption, death, and decay, the powers that have held you in death, corruption, and decay were overthrown on that Sunday. And because of this, because this was Christ's doing, because resurrection is God's responsibility, your, resi- your resistance and your indifference, your deadness can't undo what Christ has done. Resurrection is not waiting for your permission. What's done is done. Christ is risen. And because that Sunday is now spilling into the rest of the week, resurrection is something that is already at work in the world. And maybe you believe it and maybe you don't. It doesn't matter because what you believe or don't believe does not make it more or less. It's happened. Life conquered death and there's not a thing you can do about it. You can receive it as a gift. You can doubt it. You can sing the Easter tunes with full-throated, desperate joy, or not. It doesn't matter. Sunday happened, and Sunday is happening. And there's a new creation that is being set up in the midst of the old. And here's the really astonishing thing of a three-week story, that the place where God sets up his new is in the middle of your old. Three-day story is an invitation to know this open secret. Death is not the end. To become one of his followers is to take on a three-day story, to be immersed in it, to, to be baptized into the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, to, to grow so attached to Jesus or more to Allow him to attach himself to you so that what happened to him can happen to you. It's receiving a three-day story, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the night of Dave's open house, a number of us went out afterwards. High school friends I hadn't seen for 20-odd years. And what we did for hours and hours was uh, just one thing. Any guess? Told stories. Many that I had forgotten, many which were deeply embarrassing, and I'm glad none of you were there. Um, We told stories about how our relationships were formed, about the stupid things we'd done, the pranks, the times we stuck up for each other in fights, pallet fire out in the bush. This is what Albertans do. They love to light pallets on fire. It's called a good time. (laughs) We recalled stories of us at our best and our worst. And what was happening in the retelling of that story, we were reaffirming the bond of friendship. 
And somehow in the retelling of that, those stories of friendship, we, the new intimacy was born. Now, if they knew I was using this word about them, intimacy, they would they'd not be a fan. But that's what was happening. Intimacy, connection was being formed. Someone remarked about the, you know, the classic cliche of like, I can't believe how it's been 20 years, but you just pick up where we left off. I said, yeah, boy, are we sounding old. You say stuff like that. Neil said, what a weekend. I said, yeah, what a weekend. And I reflected on, just at the beginning, I've got a lot more reflecting to do, but Dave and I were born a month apart. We grew up in the same town. We played on the same hockey teams. I grew up in his house just as much as he grew up in mine. We lived, we lived through the same things. We rented the same movies from Marlar Mini Mart. We did everything the same. And yet I was confronted with, with all that sameness how, how, sameness, how much divergence there had been over the last 20 years. Very, very different paths. Of course, I'm asking why. And the only thing, and I genuinely mean this, is the only thing I can attribute it to is that by some sheer gift, I have been learning how to receive a three-day story. That's really the only difference I can attribute this to. Receiving a three-day story. And what happened to Jesus has been happening to me. There are things in my life that have been put to death. They have been buried. Things that I tried to cut the strings off for years and couldn't. And there are things in my life that have been raised. New gifts, new affections, new relationships that are not of my doing. And so I, came, I come into this Sunday morning astonished and grateful that a three-day story is happening to me. I think that's the invitation of Easter, is to let it happen to you. It already happened. It's happening. Now the question is, would you like it to happen to you? We come to the table to rehearse the story to remind ourselves of the full story. It's Friday, it's Saturday, and it's Sunday. And we come uh, to the, the table reminding ourselves of this good news this Easter uh, morning. And we're going to, at the, the end of the gathering, we're going to have a time of uh, celebration here where we're going to fully enter. By the end of the gathering, I hope, we'll fully be into Sunday. We've been creeping into Sunday here. And we're going to fully be into the Sunday, and we're going to do that with balloons, um, which it's a very ancient. Uh, uh, for many, it's a sacrament. We can't get into that, but uh, it's an ancient sacrament of balloon throwing. But what, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, but uh, if you would like, if you would like this morning to afresh receive a three-day story, come to, come to the table. Let it define you. Be marked by mercy. And come and receive the bread. Dip it into the, the wine or the juice. The wine <clears throat> is in the white cup. And the juice is in the gray cup. There's a gluten-free.
There's a gluten-free station on the corner. Uh, only take it if you need it. Don't steal gluten-free crackers from those who do. Um, so go ahead and take that. There's no prayers of the people this morning. Is that right? Okay, so I see the table out there, but just... Uh, uh, Heather, can you just turn the sign down? There we go, okay. Um, so it's clearly closed this morning. Um, so no prayers of the people. Communion is open. And so come, uh, receive the bread and the wine. Uh, get a balloon. We're going to use that in a second. Don't blow it up quite yet. Just hang on to that. Uh, parents, uh, you don't need to rush away. The, the, the teachers have been prepped. Uh, so you can, you can go eventually. Please pick them up at some time, uh, preferably before uh, the announcements, because we want to get the kids back in the room for uh, the balloons. Um, but we have time here to linger uh, as we come to the table. So the gospel is the good news that God our Father, the creator, out of his great love for us.